Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, soul sister. Oh, my God. I went to a train concert, not knowingly. I went to a Hall & Oates concert here in Charlotte, and the opener was train. And guess which show my wife enjoyed more train Train. wait isn't that the bay area zone train (laughs) yeah i was gonna say you gotta you gotta watch yourself that is a san francisco band so be careful what you say tom (laughs) the sophisticated analytics show that hall and oates is objectively more entertaining than in train but as we also know everyone can get my face off of jordan's screen somebody what is what is is happening (laughs) i just wanted to feel like you were with me the underdogs podcast i'm tom haverstrow there's jordan brenner peter keating the nfl draft is over i keep saying draft night because i'm an nba guy or that's my focus and there's not one draft night in the nfl it's multiple nights can't just say draft night is done it's a month right it's draft month yeah draft night is done we got the kentucky derby not draft night tom get it out of your head draft night is not done and the nfl draft is done did you guys enjoy the draft more this year than last year? Well, yeah, because my local teams had four of the top ten picks, so <laughs> there was a lot more to be interested in. I just meant in terms of production. I, I think that uh, although I know there's been some commentary and con- controversy about some some player evaluations in the last few days, I thought the broadcast of the draft really um, turned down the tragedy porn element of, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's there's a lot more to players, good and bad, than which relative, you know, went through some horrendous trauma for a, you know, for a TV production to tell us. So I actually thought, I actually thought that the televised version everywhere was a lot better this year than last year. Maybe it was just because they had a crowd, you know, emerging from the pandemic, they were able to play off the crowd's energy and get excited about being together in person. I think it was fun. Nothing gets a crowd more excited than a funeral, right? <laughs> you know what? I don't understand that aspect of it. But, but you know, in the NBA, they did a NFL draft, like red carpet walk down the the uh, the track there. And there's like a little I don't know, strutting with the parents. Um, NFL, they just do a better product, except for inside the NBA. And inside the NBA continues to be the class of sports programming. But the NFL draft is its own sport, I feel like. Did you have any favorites among the players who were introducing or, or fans or celebrities who were introducing picks? I don't know if either of you guys saw this, but... The Make-A-Wish kid for the Giants was fantastic. Did you see Ed Marinaro making the Vikings pick? He was drafted 50 years ago by the Vikings, got up there, said, I know what you're all thinking. You look really good. <laughs> and then went on <laughs> and then went on for what seemed like 45 minutes about how he hadn't wanted to play for the Vikings, but it all worked out as a, 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 a guy grabbing his moment in the spotlight and not letting go. I know Twitter didn't like it. I thought it was tremendous. I'm sure you remember Ed Marinaro from Hill Street Blues. Also, I believe the TV show Sisters, but 
You have to look that up. I prefer Ed Ragu. Oh my God. Wow. Is Herb Jones uh, his buddy? There's too much oregano in that. We're running out of time. We got to get to the show. Time. T-H-Y-M-E. Oh, 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 yeah. Tom, we got to turn things around quick. Get it? We are talking about NFL turnarounds. We're going to get into the Derby, Kentucky Derby. The race is Saturday. We're going to talk about a few horses for that race. But first, we got to talk about this NFL draft and what it means for teams turning it around in 2022. So we've done some research we have some big thoughts, some picks here to some sleeper picks going into next season. And Peter, I kind of feel like of the bo- the basement dwelling teams, I feel like people are talking themselves into Detroit. People are talking themselves into maybe the Giants or the Jets. But which team are you most excited about and why? Well, subjectively, I'm most excited about the Giants because for once, you know, year after year, we'll get to a draft and I'll, I'll have read up on or seen half a dozen players enough to know that I think they'd be good picks for the Giants. And we'll get to a point where the Giants make their choice and more than one of them are available. That's what you want, right? If you know who your top five players are and your team is drafting seventh or eighth, but two of your top five are still left, that's that's, that's supposed to be a great night for a fan. Well, what happens is the, the Giants then get to that position and don't pick somebody I've ever heard of. So that's what's been happening for years. And this year, I wouldn't have minded if the Giants had the top two picks in the draft. And with those two picks, they took the guys who they got, uh, Thibodeau and Evan Neal. So I was ecstatic about that. And it's been making me think, you know, a lot of the draft grades we see are experts who are really into finding value picks and demonstrating their own knowledge kind of averaging out team performance or what they think how they how well they think teams did across seven rounds in terms of who's going to turn it around the fastest we might just want to ask who got the very 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 best players like which teams picked up a hall of famer or two potentially maybe they get a's and maybe we don't know a whole hell of a lot more about how everyone did because if if you had a, a fourth round grade on a player and i got him in the sixth round well i might have gotten great value or you might have overrated the player to begin with. That usually that usually takes some time to pan out, right? But in terms of high impact, great players, I think for, for those reasons, where the reasons of uh, you know you see guys who could like step onto a field and change a game, fill a need and change a game with that kind of impact. I think that's why people are excited about the Giants and the Lions and the Jets, right, Jordan? Yeah, but how much does the draft really at, alone? change a team's fortunes, especially in a, in a one year setting or, you know, Peter, you did some, some research on what led to some of the biggest turnarounds of the past decade. And I, you know, just looking at some of the numbers, I'll let you explain what you found. I I found there's a lot more compelling things than just adding a high first round pick. Well, look, a lot of teams push or propel teams, a, a lot of factors, push or propel NFL teams to the middle of the pack, right? If you do well, you get a poor draft choice. If you do horribly, you get a top draft pick, number one. Your schedule is also affected. Not not in a huge way, but if you finish last in your division, you get an easier schedule the following year. If you do really well or really badly, health almost always has something to do with that, 
right? And so does the life cycle of certain positions. If your quarterback has run out of gas and you don't have a replacement, you're likely to do, I mean, really terribly and then put yourself in line for knowing that you have to replace a player at a critical position. Turns out in the biggest turnarounds, basically all of these things smush together into the final result. In the last 10 years, the teams that made the five biggest turnarounds are the 2012 Colts. They they improved by nine games, okay? So that's more than half of the schedule flipped from losses to wins. The 2013 Chiefs, same, same deal there. The 2016 Cowboys, the 2019 49ers, and the 2015 Panthers. Now, you might be able to tell right off the top of your head um, – most of those teams in their before years had disastrous quarterback situations, right? Uh, the 2011 Colts ended the starting careers of three different quarterbacks. Curtis Painter, Dan Orlovsky, and Kerry Collins. Yes, Kerry Collins, 10 years after he couldn't run in a Super Bowl, um, was on his literally his last legs for those Colts. None of them ever started another game. That year, they the, the following year, they drafted Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton. So... The quarterback play drastically improved. They hit a home run on their draft picks, and they improved by a staggering amount. But, Peter, there's this kind of hidden hand, right, that, yes, you can get a quarterback, or, yes, you can make a coaching change, but there's this little hidden hand that's at play that people don't normally talk about. Like, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not expecting Stephen A. Smith to talk about Pythagorean wins on first take, right? But that's a pretty important piece of the pie. Nobody ever likes to talk about luck. Nobody ever comes off a field and says, we won that exciting, close, dramatic game that we gritted out and we wanted it more. Well, we also got all the favorable bounces, right? Nobody says we won that one-point contest because the ball accidentally kicked our way. But if you're 2-14 and 14, or you're 3-13 and 13, or now 3-14, and 14, you probably lost the lion's share of your close games because you lost all of your, almost all of your games. Was that lion's share some foreshadowing, by the way? Wow. Oh, yes. Speaking of the lions, I mean, they lost, they lost so many heartbreakingly close games last year, right? So there's a lot of, often, there's a lot of luck involved. And, and just looking at the numbers, how much the teams improved compared to how much they improved in their expected wins, about 30% of the biggest turnarounds are due, on average, to bad luck changing to good luck. Whoa! And that's just by measuring expected wins and, and close scores and stuff, right? That's how we're measuring luck? Yeah. So in 2018, the 49ers, if you look at how many points they scored and gave up, should have won 5.8 games. The following season, their offense improved dramatically. Their defense improved also by more than 120 points to the point where they should have won based on, again, just the raw totals, 11.8 games. So they had an expected increase in six wins from 5.8 to 11.8. They actually went from four to 13. Their actual real wins improved by 50% more than that, by nine whole wins, because they lost a bunch of close games and had bad luck. They had bad luck in several senses. They were also banged up with injuries and stuff. And, and, but they went from bad luck to good luck. On, on, on average, that accounts for about 30% of these leaps. Now, there are teams that did that, made a big increase in the number of wins they actually posted that was almost all due to luck. I mean, if you see a team winning 10 or 11 games, even though they're getting outscored, they were very fortunate. 
But when teams don't realize that, when they look at the mirage and they see a really drastically improved team, they can go really seriously awry. I'll, just quick example, the 2016 Giants, who everybody in fandom thinks lost because some of their players went out on a boat cruise. Turns out they were very lucky that year after being very unlucky the year before in Tom Coughlin's last year as coach. They bet the house on that being a real improvement. They signed a bunch of veteran free agents, got themselves into cap trouble, and they spent years trying to dig themselves out of it. Raiders that year, same situation. The Panthers in 2015, dramatically improved. They won 15 games. They looked at that team and thought, Cam Newton is an all-time superstar. We're a 15-win level team. They were really only good enough to win about 12 games that year, and they got themselves into trouble too. So... You have to really make sure that when you're looking at these turnarounds that they're they're based on something real. They're based on actual improvements in offense, defense, and special teams, the things that win games, not just the ball bouncing your way a couple more times in close games and close losses. And what's interesting is, um, to your point, there's no one right way to change a roster from year to year and engineer this sort of a big comeback. We, I, we, I looked at the depth charts for – the 10 biggest or the biggest turnaround teams of the last decade and saw what they did from year to year. So as we mentioned, those 2011 to 2012 Colts had the biggest change and they changed everything, right? They started four rookies in 2012 on the, the, the good team, Andrew Luck, Vic Ballard, Dwayne Allen, Kobe Fleener. They changed three fifths of their offensive line. They had six new starters on defense. They changed everything. The, the chiefs, meanwhile, instead of going young, in, in their 2012 to 2013 turnaround, they had a few middling veterans on offense, but it was mostly the same the same group and only three new starters on defense. They did change from Romeo Cornell to Andy Reid. Now, the one key link that has to be discussed between those two teams was both brought in a middling wide receiver with limited career success named Donnie Avery. There he is. There it is. The best way to engineer a turnaround of at least eight wins is to sign and start Donnie Avery. Right. We're looking for the Michael Milken, right? The junk bond specialist, the guy who comes in, sees a distressed asset and turns it around. I would never have bet that the Michael Milken of the past decade in the NFL was going to be Donnie Avery. So we we, we got we to figure out what, what the secret sauce is there. He's 37. He, the- he could probably <laughs> still play. Hasn't been in the NFL in eight years, but hey. Get him to Jacksonville. Get him to Jacksonville now. You can go new coach, same coach. You can go new quarterback, same quarterback. You can totally remake the offensive line or the secondary, or you can leave them totally alone. There's no rhyme or reason. Um, And and I found that fascinating as I dug into more and more of these turnarounds. Right, because you were probably looking, Jordan, is like, what? What is, I don't know, is it offensive line? Is that a sneaky underrated way to improve your team year over year? Or if it's cornerbacks, like you didn't find a specific position filling or or turnover at a specific position that seemed to portend improvement more than other positions. No, not not really. And and certainly not a number of changes either. Again, a, a piece of that is man games lost. How many, how many, how significant the injury bug was in the bad year. So a lot of these teams just got guys back. And that helped. Um, but there, you know, there, there's no one right way to build a football team. I tend to agree with people who say start on the lines. If you can protect your quarterback and generate pressure, it changes everything. And I think that leads to some of our, our thoughts for this coming season. But looking back to history, again, everybody did it differently. But I would say you'd probably agree with this, right? That in the short term, 
most of the improvement comes on offense. That may just be a function of how important a quarterback is. And if you get a quarterback right, you can improve by leaps and bounds. I also think it's probably, you can probably plug in fewer players, fewer new players to get a huge improvement on offense than on defense. But in these gigantic turnarounds, the biggest ones the last 10 years, they improved by more than 150 points on offense and something like 85 points on defense. You can probably, yeah, there's no, there's no one recipe, but you can probably get there quicker. You can probably improve your scoring differential at least more quickly by focusing on offense and defense. It, it definitely seems like like you can go quicker from a, a truly disgusting offense to at least an average one than on defense. I think that's fair. So Peter, who do you like? Like knowing all this information, luck, and then positional turnover, which team are you most excited about going into next year? Well, you know, last year was a little unusual in that some of the luckiest teams or the teams that exceeded their expectations the most um, were actually still not dominant teams of the teams that were the unluckiest who have room to bounce just by winning a fair share, or as I said before, a lion's share of close games. <laughs> Detroit makes that that list. They were basically two Ooh. wins below where they should have been last year. I think their top two picks were home runs. I mean, an outstanding pass rusher who probably should have been the number one pick in the whole draft. And then Jamison Williams, if and when, I mean, it's a matter of what point in the season if he plays, but when he comes back, potential huge game changer in a division where their other teams are likely to be winning fewer games. Um, and let's face it, last year, this is not a very analytical thing to say, but last year, just watching the Lions, you could sense they were on the verge of something, right? They were on the verge of breaking through from being horrible to being mediocre, right? When they were 0-10 and they won that first game on the fourth down play time running out, uh, it was like they won the Super Bowl. So there's not going to be, I mean, the, the coaches obviously, the coach and the players obviously are all on the same page. They've added Hall of Fame level players, in my opinion, in a in a pretty in a weakening division. If you're going to bet on a team to go from horrible to tasty, that's who I I think I'd settle on. Here's what I find to add on to your Lions point. First of all, they you mentioned they played hard. They had they had their uh, Campbell had their uh, ankle biters ready to go. Right. Um, yeah. They they kept playing, but that offensive line already is solid. They um, it, PFF gave it. I think said it was the most improved offensive line from the beginning to the end of the season. So there is something there. Again, if you believe that you've got to open up holes, you've got to protect your quarterback to even have a base level of offensive success. It's there. They lost a ton of games to injury last year. So if you, if you can get a season where that line stays together, where Deandre Swift is healthy and is really effective in both the run and pass game, you've improved the off the, uh, what was a really weak receiving group with the, uh, the additions of DJ Chark and Jamison Williams to go with Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ra. There's something on offense. The defense played hard, and obviously you're adding Aiden Hutchinson to the mix. Their ceiling may be capped with Jared Goff at quarterback, yeah. Yeah. but he's also a guy who, if the pieces around him are improved, he knows what he's doing. It's not like having Curtis Painter there, right? He can he can 
engineer a solid offense. So for all the reasons you've discussed. Don't you feel like like we're pretty confident in the entire rest of the team? So if we say, what are the chances that Jared Goff will have an excellent season? Okay, maybe they're pretty low. Maybe it's 30% or something. Well, since we're pretty confident about the entire rest of the team, that number, whatever you think the number is, it's it's higher than most 313-1 teams have a chance of being pretty damn good, right? I mean, it's a 25% chance. Yeah, I guess devil's advocate, they gave up the second most points in football. And I'm not sure beyond adding Aiden Hutchinson, they've done enough to upgrade that defense. I guess you hope that there's some continuity in year two that leads to some, again, some improvement, some regression. From well, they spent the they, they spent their entire draft other than Jamison Williams trying to improve the defense, which was which was smart. Right, but it's not like they made a big free agent splash on defense. Um, so I guess that's that's a that's a concern, right? That's the I think that's the first reason I would look for to slow my roll on them, but I'm with you. I I see a lot of potential for, for upgrade there. I don't see Hutchinson aiding and abetting their defensive (laughs) utility next year. Guys, Uh, Detroit also fifth in mangameslost.com. man games lost, uh, tracking the most games lost due to injury in the 2021 season. The giants are number one, but the lions checking in at number five, you mentioned Swift, but also you got like Tyrell Williams was out with a season ending injury in the first, uh, game. And then just, yeah, didn't have great COVID and injury bug and flu stuff going through the team. So just, if 90% of life is just showing up, the Lions should be doing better next year. Of course, we can't predict how injured they're going to be next season. No one can really do that. But um, this seems like a prime turnaround candidate. If you're looking at a, a sleeper pick for next year or betting the over on their win total, a lot of things pointing in Detroit's favor, but also like the Giants. Both New York teams, top five in injury man games lost last year. Obviously, what's interesting is is they both made huge draft night. They're the like darlings of draft 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 night, Tom, of the draft uh, <laughs> experience, right? With the Giants with their two top ten picks, the Jets two top ten picks, trading for a guy at the end of the first round who they thought would go in the top ten, and then getting Brees Hall at the top of the second round. It's sexy, but there's more to it than that. I think with both teams, there's more to it with continuity from guys coming back. There's more to it with schematic changes. Um, and, and, and so I think we can pinpoint a lot of reasons, Peter, why both those teams, I, I you know, I, it scares me to even say it, could be a lot better this year. Well, I like what Tom said about how we can't predict injuries and we don't know how everybody's going to pan out. But who, who just has the room to bounce based on bad luck, horrific injury rates, and just things returning to normal, right? Detroit, number one. The Giants threw away, literally, into a dumpster, threw away six games out of a 17-game season last year because they had a, whatever you think the replacement level is for backup quarterbacks, right? I mean, the lowest, right, below, you know, what do you what you think like the average performance of the, let's say, the 33 through 40th quarterbacks is in the league, right? Giants backup quarterback was backup quarterbacks, allegedly, were were way below that line. They just punted on that position with an injury prone starting quarterback. They, they so punted a lot, actually. That that was they 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 basically punted on third down a few times. Yeah. We saw we saw that. Um 
So that was malpractice level management. Mm-hmm. And they lost six games, got blown out six games because they didn't have a functional quarterback. Uh, now, we don't know if the quarterback's going to be any healthier this year, but he's finally surrounded by an offensive line. We estimate, we estimate that we'll not have him running for his life on every single deep drop. I think we've been really unfair to Daniel Jones. It reminds me of Ryan Tannehill in Miami. Oh, and here, going, here it comes. You know, I'm going uh, to Tennessee. The Blue Devil. Here we go. Oh, th- here this is, we no, go. No, this isn't my Duke bias. This is my Giants bias now. So he's not Dave Brown, right? You can make that argument, Look, right? He clearly, <laughs> he clearly has physical talent, throws a great deep ball. He can run. They've had the worst offensive line in the sport for years. So the case you make for them is the following, that Andrew Thomas has already become a stud left tackle, and and maybe Evan Neal is the same on the right side. They made upgrades to the interior line. So you finally have a line that can get him time to throw and give Saquon Barkley room to run. Then their skill position players last year were decimated by injury. Jones, Barkley, Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Toney. Those guys can stay healthy. It's not a bad group. That offense could go from pitiful to above average, and it wouldn't be shocking. Then it comes to the defense. You've added Kayvon Thibodeau as a as a pass rusher. Again, miss, missing for decades. Right, with Aziz Ajilari, <laughs> suddenly maybe they have a pass rush when you added Leonard Williams. If they can patch things up with James Bradbury, the secondary is the biggest question. But all those things point to reasons why, again, if they stay healthy, this could be a much better team. And the Jets are in the same situation. Young quarterback, but they have a solid offensive line now. They made significant upgrades to their skill positions on offense, and they're building up. The defense still needs work, but they just got a shutdown corner who, if he's as good as advertised, can sort of take care of half the field. And what I really like about both those teams' drafts is they took care of issues where we don't have to be in fantasy land, hoping and hoping. You know, for example, can Kadarius Tony stay healthy? Well, who knows? But Wandale Robinson, you know, Robinson may have been a stretch, but if he's healthy and he's okay, he plays a lot of the same role that Tony could fulfill. Do the Jets need Mekhi Becton to be perfectly healthy this year? Um, it would be nice, but if he isn't, again, they address that through the draft. So um, there, there has, there's not a lot of uh, – both of these teams in their previous regimes just threw away a lot of surplus value, a lot of draft capital, a lot of opportunity – that, that hasn't happened in the past few months with either of these squads. It's really interesting to see. And, and you may ask, why are we discussing this right now? Well, it's never too early to bet futures. And I think it's important to, to sort of put the draft in perspective, right? Everyone's excited right now. But you got to take it holistically. And, and again, I, I still think health is more important than anything, anything else we talked about. Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. One thing on the draft, I actually find this fascinating is looking at those snapshot grades, those knee jerk grades that we see on draft night for all the sports. How predictive are they in the NBA? If, if, if the draft grader gives a certain pick an a, how well does that actually 
predict how well that player or that team does with that player going forward. Thought about that a lot. And so in the NFL, I looked at uh, pro football focuses grades over the last three years, fellas. And I wanted to see how much the gr- the draft grade correlated with that team's improvement in year one. So in the last three years, I got all the grades from profootballfocus.com and looked at how well that team did right after drafting that class compared to their grades. So this is something to think about when you see Detroit getting an A plus. And we talked a lot about how well they've done um, in the draft and just how well they might project to next season and, and great improvement. But actually, what's fascinating to me about this is that if you look at the last three years, the draft grade and your improvement in that year is almost completely random. You might get an A plus, but you actually get worse the next season and you might get a D or a C minus in your draft grade and you actually might improve by a lot. And the the correlation coefficient is 0.05 on this for all the nerds out there listening. And I guess you could say, well, draft grades are more about like the long term rather than in the near term. But I do think when you're looking at futures right now or looking at uh, win totals right now, you have that thing in the back of your head that like, oh, we're just coming off the draft and this team did really well in the draft. I feel like they're going to get better this year. Like throw that out. I really do think that if you're just basing whether a team is going to do really well based on how well they did in the draft or your perception of how they did in the draft, that's usually a fruitless endeavor. Like you just kind of overrate your own ability to, to project teams on how well they draft. And it's just, we don't know too much about these players and how they translate to the NFL. So a lot of times we, we get excited about a team's draft and it actually doesn't pan out very well at all. So, um, another thing I looked at was, you know, bad teams. If you're five wins or fewer, um, the draft still doesn't project very well. There's not much correlation. Even if you're looking at the bad teams, how well they improved, um, the draft really doesn't have much influence at all over your in your, your next season improvement. So curious, your guys thoughts about that research that the draft as it pertains to the, the grading of the draft doesn't hold too much weight in terms of those sleeper picks. Well, first of all, nobody ever, ever checks to see if the average grade is the same from one year to the next, right? Yeah, the, the graders are actually really easy graders. Um, I think it's a, a group of them are, are making these grades, like a consensus grade for each team. And what I found was there was only one team that got lower than a C minus over their previous. I'm looking at the 2019, 2020 and 2021 draft, like only one team. It was Green Bay, I think, in 2019 or something like that. That was I got a, a D no D pluses and only a handful of C minuses, but 12 B's nine B pluses, seven A minuses, seven A's and eight A pluses. And actually wow. the ones that got eight, wow. the eight A pluses actually fared worse in that next season than the <laughs> C minus or worse. So the best drafters actually did on average worse in terms of improvement than those bad drafters. The, the, the alleged A-plus drafters. So that speaks to two really – first of all, there's a really powerful impetus to be optimistic at this time of year, right? We are from now through the preseason, and you'll see this with preseason projections of team wins too. Um, first of all, if you're doing 
projections or draft grades, there's a part of you that really doesn't want to be really harsh about players that haven't played yet, right? And, and who, I mean, if you give everybody C minuses, who's going to read you after a while, right? But, but I don't think that's a conscious bias. But at this point in the calendar, everyone wants to be, everyone just is optimistic. Well, if everybody got A's, the, dra- the grades would be meaningless, right? So you have to keep that in mind and also just keep in mind the fact that nobody, here's what nobody ever says in a season preview. Everyone says, well, Jones, you know, had a sprained ankle and a broken toe last year. When if he comes back successfully from those injuries, you know, he's he's going to throw for for 3,000 yards this year instead of the 40 that he had last year. Nobody ever says, hey, you know, Smith might bust a gut and uh, have his appendix out and break <laughs> his thumb on his car door. And if that happens, this team's just going to suck, right? No, nobody, nobody forecasts random disasters at a time when everybody's hopeful that everyone's going to get better. So you got to really keep an eye out for those evaluations. The other thing is, is that... Um, you know, we're looking at really big or looking for really big turnarounds here. Those can be hard to see coming. Those can be hard to sustain. If you do get better through the draft, and it's obviously possible, but if you do, for the long haul, the recipe is probably something like the Cowboys spending a first or second round pick on really good offensive linemen for five years in a row and then having three to five years of really solid play after that. It's probably not lucking into Andrew Luck, right? Um, even if your luck is bad. <laughs> Not bad lucking your way into a lucky, you know, a quarterback. Too much luck for one sentence. I'm I'm totally lost. I'll say this, uh, to go along with your point, the teams that had those, the, the teams that had those huge turnarounds that improved by like seven or eight games a year, the next season before they started playing, they were an average of plus 5,000 to win the Super Bowl and their over-unders were an average of 7.6 wins in Vegas. Mm. So it's it's not like anybody saw those coming, even though in retrospect they had done all these things to drastically improve themselves. Hindsight is twenty twenty, And also, I'm curious, Jordan, are you going to put your money where your mouth is with the Lions? What are, their, what are their odds right now to win the division and actually go the over like what are their over unders? Their what do their numbers look like on on the board? Yeah, so let's talk about these three three teams we've zeroed in on. Right, the Lions are plus eleven hundred to win the NFC North, which I think is a sneaky good bet, as much because of the quality of that division. If you think the Packers are going to fall off without without Devontae Adams, if you don't think much of the Bears and the Vikings, those are pretty good odds. They're minus one twenty five for over six wins. I like that a lot. The Jets are minus one thirty for only over five and a half wins. I love that. Plus 1,800 to win the AFC East, but that's a a, a tall order with the Bills and Patriots in that division. Giants are plus 650 to win the NFC East, which really speaks to the the lower quality of that division. They're minus 110 for over seven wins. So I think of those bets, I kind of like the Jets over five and a half wins and maybe take a flyer on the Lions at plus 1,100. What do you guys think? I'll take the the Lions plus 1,100 to win the NFC North. Yeah, that sounds like a fun and potentially rewarding Long shot. I, I I actually don't hate any of those except betting on the Jets to win the AFC East outright. That that's uh, <laughs> that's that's a tall order. Well, the Bills were super lucky in terms of injury in the regular season. Is that I think they were the the healthiest team. So if the injury bug hits them, um, and then 
the Patriots, who knows if they were just, but it weren't the Patriots like the most unlucky team in terms of differential. They were very unlucky. Although I thought the, I thought the bills were unlucky from a Pythagorean perspective, which is weird with all the injury games lost. There's different ways you can look at this, right? But the, the, the bad news for jets fans and for betters on the jets is that <laughs> Compared to their expected wins, the Bills and the Patriots were two of the most unlucky teams in football. Even though, like I said, it's a little weird because they had winning records, but they still didn't win. Neither of them won as many games as you'd expect. And the reason for that is if you just look at the schedule, um, both of those teams lost a bunch of excruciating close games. I mean, you might remember the 9-6 to six loss the Bills had to Jacksonville which is probably the worst played game by any team all year outside of a blizzard. Don't forget about that Pittsburgh Detroit tie, by the way, because that was right up there too. But that was disgustingness. <laughs> yeah. But nine to six to Jacksonville. And the week after that, the bills beat the jets 45, 17. So, but the bills, the bills managed to lose um, a bunch of close games and, win, you know, and, and, and they won a bunch of blowouts. Same thing with the Patriots. So I wouldn't expect now on the other hand, the Packers only score outscored their opponents by they outscored them by a handful, a relative handful of points. Packers outscored their opponents by less than fewer than 80 points, yet won 13 games. Okay. They by that by that single measure are one of the two luckiest teams in football. So I think that division is and and you know, and and, and they've lost some guys, and um Chicago is a good bet to lose, lose, and lose some more. So I'm liking that plus 1100 to win the NFC North for Detroit more and more. I think we may be we may be talking ourselves into an extreme long shot here. The other piece of this puzzle, um, the NFL releases its schedule next Thursday. By the way, again encroaching on the NBA. First they come for Christmas. Now they're coming for Draft Lottery Day. But I always like to look at the early season schedule because I have this kind of cockamamie theory that in the NFL, sometimes you win before you get good. Sometimes you just end up with two or three really easy games to start the season. And the next thing you know, you look up and you're three and oh, and it's, and, and you're not even sure you're that good, but, but at three and oh start in the NFL, you're, you're basically 20% of the way through. And that builds momentum. It builds continuity. It builds buy-in. Suddenly you win a couple games. Jordan doesn't also change the dynamic of the front office in making trades or upgrading the roster is now, Oh, we're like a winning team. Now we should probably like plug in holes and make, makes us make ourselves a little bit more foolproof. You know, it's harder to add players mid season in the NFL than well, in yeah, it's true. baseball yeah. and basketball. You've seen a couple more in season trades than in the past, but it's still not the dynamic of, of where you gear up for the stretch run in baseball with three middle relievers and right. And, and the NBA, you get a shooter at the deadline, but I do think it changes. I think Football is momentum based, and I think football is buy-in based, and I think it does change the dynamic if you're off to a good start. Now we saw we saw that not work out for the Panthers last year, who started three and zero, and then also all sorts of quarterback problems and lost a bunch of games, and that was that. But there's a lot of examples in in football history where teams that weren't expected to be any good got off to a good start and just sort of rolled from there. So I'm curious to see when the schedule comes out who these teams we've talked about are playing early. Because I think that can set the tone for them. So Baltimore is a team that, you know, I think a lot, it's a sexy pick to, to break out next year or get back to normal after a down season, Lamar Jackson, um, Louisville quarterback, fantastic star player. And if they get healthier, they're number two in man games lost due to injury. And 
you know, I think they're an interesting pick. They, they showed out on draft night. I do think that, um, speaking of Louisville plus 2200 to win the Super Bowl for the Ravens, only the only third in their division in terms of Super Bowl futures behind the Browns and Bengals. I'm going to grab that wheel and steer it to the Derby. Oh, Louisville. Speaking oh, that's where you were Louisville. going. So obscure. Yeah. I was trying Tom, to think. That was so subtle. We missed it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yep. Grabbing the reins, as Mays likes to say. Grabbing yep. the reins. There we go. Not the Ravens, the reins, okay? I didn't get the kernel of a reference in there. Oh. Well, we've got more to talk about, not just Baltimore. We got more to talk about with the Derby is on Saturday. You could have gone, by the way, you could have gone Baltimore Preakness transition there too, right? Yeah, more like Preakless because it's the Derby, you know? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Are you, are you a Derby snob? Are you, are you, uh, you're not so much a rail bird? Is this a- what happens when you marry a, a Kentucky girl? It's, 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 it's the Derby over all others. I mean, which one gets the biggest ratings? Which one's the first? I mean, come on. I mean, no one talks about the other races like they talk about the Derby. Poor Belmont. It's the first leg of the Triple Crown. I know this It might be my Southern bias coming out here as someone who lives in Charlotte. But I got to say, I'm interested about the uh, the Derby. Uh, we, we hold a Derby party every year. Um, and this year it's going to be, let's say, I mean, I think it's an open race. Uh, there's not a huge odds on favorite here in this, in this Derby. And I, I actually have a couple thoughts here. I'm not a handicapper by any stretch of the imagination. I do have one horse that I'm really excited about. Wait, Tom, 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 before we get to, to before we get to that, could you, because I, I don't believe Jordan, you weren't invited, were you? I wasn't invited to no, Tom's no der- der- fact, derby been, party. Could I, you tell us a little bit what we'll be missing? Are there crudités? Are there mint juleps? I just there- want to say that we've been invited to the Iowa State Fair, and our own co-host hasn't even invited us to his derby yeah. party. But yeah, is it hats and mint juleps, or do you have like your own little twist on it? Maze, don't tell him that I invited you. <laughs> don't tell him. Don't tell him. This is offline. I am not saying this on air. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's actually, you know, it's just me and my kids and my dog. That's it. There's no invited guests whatsoever. Don't worry yeah. about it. Don't worry about it. All good. Do you dress the dog up? No, no. I don't know about you guys. Do you guys know how to tie a bow tie? I feel like, Peter, you could rock a good bow tie. I could, but it would probably still be a clip on. Yeah, I, I do have a bow tie. I've done it once that I've gotten a bow tie. I, I've, I've got the seersucker down. I've got that outfit. Seersucker, okay, all right. Oh yeah, but what? Seriously, what? What are the themes of the the Haberstrow Derby party? What do you What do you throw does out there, there? Does everyone wear white with blue stripes or floral patterns or? The ladies um, have to wear their hats, their fancy hats, of course. Um, the men dress as preppy as possible. And in Charlotte, you know, everyone's got a, a preppy outfit, if not a preppy wardrobe, an entire closet of seersucker and vineyard vines. Um, but we serve lots of mint juleps, some bourbon balls. Have you ever got, have you guys ever had a bourbon ball before? No. Tell me about it. I have once. It's quite the... Uh, quite the Southern delicacy. <laughs> it is great. Yes, it is a it's bourbon... It's quite intoxicating, yes. Yeah, it's a bourbon candy that is basically bourbon sugar filling with a chocolate encasing, a chocolate, um, what do you call it, glaze, and then a little pecan stuck on the top of it. And you have two of those and you are hammered. So... <laughs> Bourbon balls, delicious. Uh, we're going to have um, some, I don't know. Uh, we're going to watch it, of course. We're going to have the some food. Is there like a, a typical Kentucky Derby food item? 
Yeah, the hot brown. So the hot brown is a huge, uh, a huge, uh, let's just say belt loosener. It's something that's, uh, it's basically a, an open <laughs> tur- turkey sandwich with um, Bernays sauce and bacon and tomato on top of it. It is just super delicious and heavy and decadent. And that is the hot Brown, which is where, um, it got its name from the Brown hotel in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I got married. Um, and it's the Brown in downtown Louisville. Um, there's the Brown, there's the Seelbach, which has an amazing bar, the Seelbach hotel. Uh, the hot Brown is the most famous dish I think in Louisville besides, of course, everyone talks about KFC and Kentucky fried chicken, but not too many people from Kentucky actually eat KFC. It's just kind of, you know, jump the shark, but, uh, hot Brown, little bites of hot Brown is just basically Turkey, some hollandaise, Bernays sauce, if you want. And then bacon, who doesn't love bacon, <laughs> bacon, bacon on top of the Bernays sauce. That's um, awesome. Um, this is exciting. I, I is, just, is you that, know, send, me, that, send me your address. Is it, <laughs> don't make us track you down. Yeah, no, that's uh, true. We'll, that's we, true. Can, we can pick up some. Oh, the Derby party was canceled. Look at that. <laughs> Looks like we got some bad weather. Look at that. Is that the Brown hotel is in the Brown family? The, the legendary, uh, like governor John Y Brown and the, uh, no, I've lost everybody. That the, I don't uh, know. I, I don't know the history of that name, but it's a lovely hotel and it's downtown. Louis. But you do like a horse. There's a horse you got your eye on. Of course. Oh, yes. My. I, I don't have any hair, but um, if I did, I would be going to the barber. Oh, there is a horse barber road. That is at 30 to one odds right now. And we're talking long shots. I love this one. It's got a great story. It's actually, um, you know, they do the, they sell these horses at auction and they have a listing of the auction price for these horses. And for this race, Barber road has the lowest purchase price of any of the horses. So if you're looking for an underdog, Barber road, was a purchase price of $15,000. The average of the horses is $350,000. The highest is Taiba at $1.7 million um, at auction. And the fascinating thing is that those, uh, those uh, auction prices don't actually correlate to winning. So I got this from horse hyphen races.net that has basically all tons of research on the Kentucky Derby. And they wrote, While most people would pay any price to get a Kentucky Derby winner, the truth is less you pay, the better chance you have at buying a Derby winner at auction. There have only been four Kentucky Derby winners to sell at auction for $500,000 or more. And despite the inflated auction prices of horses in the last 30 plus years, most of the Derby winners sold since 1980 were bought for less than $50,000. So Barber Road fits that category. Um, the horse has done an amazing job. Not hasn't won in its, its last six races, but has placed um, uh, win, place, or show first, second, or third at all of those six races. And yeah, the you know the the trainer is it's the first horse in the Derby. But I really like Barber Road, even though I have no hair. It's a great story, great underdog story. Barber Road for my pick, underdog. I'm gonna say to show. Win, place, or show, first, second, or third. I am going to say to show. So that'll be anywhere in the top three picks. I like Barber Road. Don't you think it's time we got into the underdog game a little more um, personally? I'm thinking after our trip to the Iowa State Fair and after our uh, our 
egg salad sandwich lunch with Jason Sobel at the Masters next year, we buy a horse. We'll name it Underdog. Maybe some. Well, we can name him Eckler if you want. We can name it Eckler. Batty yep. A. Overdog. Or Overdog, yeah. Overdog, yeah. Herb Jones. I think the three of us owning a horse that Meadowlark Media pays for um, is a fantastic idea and one we should run up the uh, the flagpole. Or, or at least fractional shares in a horse, right? Because yeah. that is that is really Then we could be like Francesa talking about his horse. Dog. Horse. <laughs> Wait, do you guys have any picks or is this is just me? No, no, I, I am, I am here. I'm, I'm really interested in your pick. Who's thirty to one? Because I also have a thirty to one pick. I think that if ever there's a year, I mean, there's no horse. How can we say this? Head and sh- neck and shoulders. <laughs> there's above, no overdog ahead ahead of the field, and um, and so I, I love another thirty to one shot. A horse named Tis the Bomb. Yes. Mm. Figure if ever there's a year for. For a long shot, this is it because there is no overwhelming favorite. And I have a real simple reason for liking Tis the Bomb. Um, he's the fastest horse at his fat. <laughs> he's the fa- pretty good. At, 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 his, at his fastest, he's the fastest horse in the field. Um, now, you know, underdogs always need something to break right in order to win, but that's a pretty good place to start. Um, he's been in eight races. He's won five of them. He's already earned a million bucks. Uh, now the reason that he's such a long shot is because he's typically run on synthetic turf. He has not done well. He did not do well on, uh, dirt the last time he ran. And you can understand why a horse that runs well on turf, if he's not used to running on dirt, may not have experience dealing with the dirt and the mud that gets kicked up and kicked in his face. However, come on, this is the Kentucky Derby. They work out for weeks ahead of this race, right? This is this will be his first race there, but it won't be his first time around the track. He will have had this entire period leading up to the race to kind of practice, adapt, get used to the feel, kick up some dirt. Uh, there's, a, there's a number called an Equibase speed figure. Equibase tries to come up with a speed number that adjusts for track conditions, even track quality. So whether you're at Philadelphia or in Louisville, or in California, the number's supposed to be normalized for all the different things can take place on different tracks. Twice in his last few races, uh, Tiz the Bomb has had an Equibase score above 105. 109 peak. That 109 peak Equibase speed score is the highest of any horse in this mm. race. So I say, let's give, let's give the guy a shot. Let's see what happens. He's a bay horse which means he's mostly chestnut, but you'll recognize him because he has black lower legs, like black feet and a black tail, so and a black mane, even though he's a chestnut-colored horse. So he has a cool look to him, so you'll be able to spot him at least. For somebody who knows as much about horse racing as I do, that's very important <laughs> to, be able to, to be able to keep track of the horse that you're watching. I will say this. The stat about when you bid up a horse to a million dollars at auction – this is this seems paradoxical, but it's what's been going on for more than twenty years. You're not actually improving your odds of buying a winner. What you're doing is you're buying a horse that's more likely to get uh, to to breed successfully. But if you're not buying a winner, I mean, if the horse doesn't breed winners successfully, you know, successfully, if, you know, if all a horse does is breed, not win, you'd think sooner or later that would create a huge investing bubble, right? Sooner or later, horses have to win somewhere along the line in order to show a return on investment. But 
There are new investors from all around the world willing to pay more and more and more for the sires of horses, you know, so that if a horse's great, 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 great grandfather won something sometime, that's what they're willing to spend their money on. So the bubble has not popped yet. But Tom, I think you are completely right that this whole field, this whole track, let's say, is ripe for a revolution of value investing. Like I'm, I'm still waiting my big hope was I'll have another a few years back. Um, we ended up getting injured, unfortunately. But I'll have another's trainers really believed in that and really were on the cutting edge of kind of developing horses through stamina training, not just relying on genetics. But you know how genetics obsessed this whole industry is. And I'm waiting. I've been, I really would love somebody to come along and puncture that a little bit. So I would love it if a, if a horse who was sold at auction for 50,000 bucks won a big race. That would be cool. It's about time. Well, do you know the reason why it's called Tis the Bomb? The horse is Tis the Bomb? I believe because Tis the Bomb's parents were called, were named Tis the Key, who had a successful racing career through last year, and hit, hit it a bomb. That's right. So Tis the Key and Hit a Bomb got together and made Tis the Bomb. That's right. That's pretty... That's pretty. That not too much creativity there. The creativity was in the generation before. Yeah, was tis the key and hit it a bomb were the original names. Yeah. When I look at uh, the Derby, I always like to go to the track. In in Miami, we would go to Gulfstream, and if you've never been to Keeneland, you got to go to Keeneland out there in Lexington, uh, not North Carolina, Lexington, Kentucky, over by the campus of the uh, the Wildcats. Great spot to watch uh, some horsies. And yeah, I'm going to enjoy a mint julep on Saturday. Not too many, not too many. Cause we got NBA playoffs here and the warriors are playing after a, a several day layoff, which we cover on the basketball Illuminati, Illuminati podcast. Um, why there was a three night layover between games three and game two. It's very odd, but we talk about that anything to do with bourbon bombs. Is that it? Was it, was it? Too many hot browns or people just so overloaded they just scribbled up the schedule? Nope. I believe one comedian is involved, though. <laughs> Certain comedian, yes. Very odd that that they booked some eh, – well, save it for the show or save it for the listen for the listeners out there to check out Basketball Illuminati this week. Yeah, any any closing thoughts here with, uh, with the draft? Anything we forgot to hit on draft – NFL draft trio night trilogy. What do we call it? I don't want to go where Jordan will not want to tread, but is it true that there's a player that may provide outstanding value? A player named Tom drafted out of Wake Forest. Did that actually, did that actually happen? Let's let's talk about it. Yeah. The beef boys. I've I've (laughs) left the chat. The beef boys of Wake Forest. The Beef Boys, Jordan. The Beef Boys. Tennessee, get down. We're having a Beef Boy meeting. Come on, Tennessee. Hurry up. We need ideas. We need them now. I guess that's the name for their offensive line. Yeah, three Beef Boys. Hashtag Beef Boys drafted since 2018. Tied for the most uh, in the ACC over that time. (laughs) Tied for the most on that campus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Zach Tom. Zach Tom. Great last name. Wow. He's uh he's gonna be a proven winner, better than Aaron Curry, who was uh didn't pan out very well in the NFL. But you know what? Zach Tom, great name. Great name. Great all uh great school. He's got a lot of things going for him, right, Peter? Yeah, and Jordan, the last we talked to you, you you picked the horse named Wilbur, is that right? <laughs> I was really into early voting, but it's been scratched, much like what's happening around the country. (laughs) Early voting canceled. Yeah. That's disappointing. 
All right. Well, follow Jordan Brenner at Jordan Brenner on Twitter and at Peter Keating, NJ, not MJ, as in New Jersey, NJ. And also follow our producer, Anthony Mays, at Corn Puzzle, C-O-R-N Puzzle. I don't know why I spelled corn as if it was the 90s rock band. <laughs> don't know why I did that. Corn puzzle. Have we tis the bombed there? Do we got the life. Do Sorry. we know why why we're named? Why is, it, is that the name of Maze's production company? Corn puzzle? What's what's Where'd that name come from? Yeah. Why don't we have Maze to come on here and explain his Twitter? All right, Peter, let's let's work this out a little bit. OK, what's my name? Oh, Maze. Oh, Maze. Oh. And Maze. Maze. Oh. Maze. Maze. But why puzzle? Maze in Espanol. Oh, Maze, Maze. Maze. All right. Maze. Like that William Shatner commercial. The full name is Corn Puzzle Labyrinth, but that's a little longer and harder for Tom to spell. So, And also Twitter doesn't like that. That's a lot of characters for a no, username. Absolutely not. Too many. All right. So Corn and Puzzle got together and bred maize. That's one way to look at it. <laughs> I don't know about breeding, but yeah, sure. That's right, Peter. <laughs> Shout out to my dad who named a cat Corn Puzzle in the 80s. Wow. Oh. Full circle. Twas the bomb, maize. Nicely done. Nicely done. Can I stop my native now? We should add in Happy Mother's Day. So let's make sure we get that out. There you go. You just did. Excellent. Excellent.